Welcome to Olympian Method, the show where we ask the big questions in philosophy. And we provide our best answers to the best we can, but then we also doubt them. And that's where we need you to help provide the answers for us. We're going to try to do that today, Wolf. Thank you for having me again. Yes, it's been, it's been great to have these dialogues together, and I've got a superb topic for you today. We've been hinting around the edges at different moral questions, and we've been talking very abstractly about the nature of good and evil, but today we're going to like really dig in on this topic, and there's, there's probably going to be a few rabbit holes along the way, but I just wanted to sort of lay the groundwork for you first by saying that we're not trying to provide like a definitive answer. There's, there's mm-hmm. not like one system we're going to say is right for how to do morality or questions of good and evil. We're really just trying to unpack the problem, and we're going to show sort of how complex it is and a better appreciation for why it matters and why you should care about this topic, right? Well, I think we all care about it at some point or another. Yeah. And just one more caveat I wanted to give there is it's very, the thing that makes this discussion, in my opinion, very difficult is the fact that having this debate requires using terms that you can't really define independent of each other. There's a lot of intermingled relationships. So we're going to mostly be talking about sort of comparative relationships between concepts like good and evil, Mm -hmm. rather than trying to come up with how to define any of them independent of each other, which is a very difficult problem, not something we're going to try and do here. That's a good point. Yeah. So I want to start you off with a question, if you allow me. Okay. I'm going to answer it as best as I can. It's, it's all we can do, right? So first for you, is there such a thing as intrinsic good or is there merely the absence of evil? I think that our minds are more apt to notice an absence of evil. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe one of the things we tend to equate with evil is pain. Mm-hmm. This is something that Sam Harris has actually mentioned in that um, one goal that he thinks all of humanity should strive for is the mitigation of unnecessary pain and suffering. Okay. And I, and I think to some degree evil encompasses that. Um, but I don't think that's enough. I think, uh, something that is truly good goes beyond the mere, um, absence of pain. And I, th- I think good, I think good comes from meaning. And I think meaning in many response, respects comes from responsibility, but that's just my own hypothesis. Mm, okay. So I, I, have, I have a question I'd like to go into now is, could you give me your feel for maybe what's the difference between evil, something being wrong versus something being bad? So I think there's some meaning wrapped up in that, which you were talking about just a minute ago. Gosh, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm, one of the thought experiments I was going through my head is, you know, when you're, when you have a pet, for example, right, mm-hmm. you think good dog, bad dog, you know, we, 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 we do those simple commands of judgment with this animal. Who, right. We don't generally say evil dog though, right? No, we don't say evil dog. No, we just say, <laughs> and we say bad in the context of basically the dog not doing what we want the dog to do. Right. But so it seems like good is a bit of an overlapping concept there, right? Cause we're yeah. using it in one context for just the, the behavior or the, the nature of something, but there seems to be something that can be used outside of that context when we're comparing good versus evil, right? I, I would agree. And I, I would almost argue that it's, as far as I know, based on my own knowledge of the animal kingdom and biology, mm-hmm. that it's almost impossible for animals to really be evil, if that makes any sense. But and So could you tell me what your intuition is on why animals well, can't be evil? Well, actually, I'm going to correct myself. I'm actually wrong on that. I think it is completely possible for animals to be evil, but it's only within the, the context of the social structures that they have. 
for mm -hmm. example, and there's always outliers, right? So there will always be more aggressive, I, I guess you could say psychopathic chimps, for example, who are more aggressive, more likely to break social structures. And we've seen it happen many times where those chimps just get torn to threads, mm. tor torn to shreds, I should say, <laughs> in, within, their own, within their own tribes. And um, I, I've, I've seen ravens dive bomb each other and like kill an outlier raven. And I have no idea why, but the only thing I can think of is, well, clearly that raven or that crow did something that wasn't very good relative to how the others in the society were perceiving it. So do you think that there's a built-in notion of justice within nature then that, that underlies that or what, what would lead to that behavior? I do think there's an undersigned sense of justice. I don't know how conscious it is. I don't know whether it's founded on reason or rationality. Mm -hmm. I think some of it is based on of, off of the nature of our biological structures. We mentioned um, Yank Panksepp's rats in our last episode, uh, right. one of our last episodes um, about how when rats play, they usually, if you don't, they usually, the big rat will always let the little rat win 30% of the time mm -hmm. as a way of ensuring that the game is continued to play. So I think you can think of anything really as being bad, as being sort of outside the prescripted rules. Mm. But, but you can, I would argue that you can also have prescripted rules that actually maybe even encourage evil behavior. And mm. we've seen examples of that in some of the more dogmatic, secular, totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. Yeah. So I don't want to get too distracted here, but I'm right. curious if you have an answer to who makes the rules then. <sighs> Um, like when we're talking about nature, is that like an evolutionary force that's making these rules or is there something else underlying that? I, I don't know if I can point to necessarily a, a single individual that makes the rules. I mean, I mean, when you look at lobsters, for example, and their serotonin structures, and I know I'm going into Peterson and I don't want to get too down a tangent, but right. you know, the, the lobsters didn't consciously decide to have their systems be ruled by serotonin <laughs> and they didn't consciously decide to have their serotonin levels down regulated whenever they lose a fight with another lobster. Right. You know what I mean? So I, I almost feel like there's an inherent nature of good. That's a function of reality and life itself. Like if you have to decide between whether life is good or bad, whether it's good to live or good or, or bad to live, it's clearly good to live. And so I think any sort of structure that furthers survival is maybe a little bit too reductionist, but mm -hmm. I think it's a good starting point to look at how not just an individual survives, but how a society survives as so, well. So that might be a definition, or at least a concept of good that exists without having to have just the absence of evil, right? Right, right. Because, I mean, it's, it's like, how do you define an, an evil lobster? <laughs> how do you define an evil rat? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, per that definition, behavior that's basically, that, or that's counter to the survival of either the species or even the individual, right? Right, right. Potentially. And this, for some reason, have you ever heard of the cordyceps fungi in ants, by the way? Remind me. I, I think uh, I've heard about it, it's, but I don't it's, remember. It's a fungus that, that actually, um, it, it takes over the ant's brain and kind of turns it into a zombie. But mm. um, when, when the, the, the Last of Us was a video game built on that, kind of hypothesizing what would happen with humans, basically a zombie apocalypse kind of. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard of the, uh, the, the game, but I've yeah. never actually played it. I'm going somewhere with it. So, so if, when the... Um, healthy ants in a colony notice they can detect scent markers on an infected ant, an ant that has the cordyceps fungi, mm -hmm. and they'll actually take that ant away from the colony and dispose of it far away. Oh. So they will actually sacrifice individuals that are sick, quote unquote, in order for, for the greater good. Mm -hmm. Because I understand that, yes, while that individual's life is, would have some utility to the colony, the fact that it is sick, they automatically know, even though they don't speak the way we speak, they still have a knowledge of the concept of if we don't get rid of this guy or 
girl. Maybe it's a girl ant. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not because they only have one queen. But anyways. Yeah. Whatever. I, 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 so I, I think when you look at nature, that you start to see that there's... It's, it's, well, it gets very difficult to define what evil is, actually. Yeah. And I, I like that you brought up the notion of sacrifice, because we had talked about that a little bit in the last episode as it, as it related to sort of how you can use sacrifice as a way to better yourself and you know, overcome adversity and things like that and train yourself, become more strong, powerful, all these different things. So do you think that that, that notion of sacrifice, I, I'm guessing you're saying that is built into the sort of animal nature or just nature in general, right? Uh, it's built yeah exactly it's it's built into the uh, and it gets into some really dicey dicey topics when you think about nature because nature is very cruel but you and you well might, do, but do we ascribe uh, intentions like cruelty to nature necessarily or do we think of it as being more uh sort of a apathetic almost or neutral in well i don't want to steal your thunder no pun intended because <laughs> i'm going to talk about the weather but when you think about a tornado going through a town mm -hmm. you know destroying lives you know we don't we think of that as being bad right because it's against what we really want and arguably what we need mm -hmm. but we don't think of it as evil per se right, right. so i i brought up the question of what's evil versus what's wrong versus what's bad so it seems like we do think of evil as different from bad but is wrong a different concept it seems like wrong and bad are pretty closely related well i think wrong is very specifically talking about an individual decision mm -hmm. you think about right decisions and wrong decisions yeah good decisions and bad decisions I, I mean when you really think about it it's like it's really hard to go from making a good decision to thinking about making an evil decision you know you think about either making a good decision or a wrong decision or a bad decision yeah i mean it's all kind of semantically interchangeable but i think the it's almost like measuring amplitude so to speak. One is like evil is the loudest you can possibly go. Maybe. So that you're talking about like the strength of a signal, right? Or the something. strength of a signal, right? Yeah. So it, for example, and I think how, whether or not I, something is bad, wrong, or straight up evil, mm -hmm. it really depends, I think, actually on the power of the individual who's making the decision. Mm. So in the context of a human society, for example, if the president or let's just say any leader makes a decision that compromises all of the people who support him and that he's responsible for right that that's that could be seen as 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 evil almost well it can be seen as a bad decision some people might we tend to ascribe labels like that like evil to to our leaders for some reason but i think that's a way of saying we hold them to such a high level of responsibility that when they make a bad decision it, it, it's incredibly yeah, loud i think part of that is their their decisions tend to have more impact and more weight in our daily lives right so right. they have more potential for both good and evil in that sense right mm -hmm. potentially if, if if decisions are the main factor that play into it but i'm curious is is there a notion of good and evil that exists like independent of action, someone's actual actions and decisions, can there be evil thoughts that are never acted on? Oh, yes. I think that, well, I mean, because I think the only way that you can act on something is that you have to think, actually think it first, whether it be subconsciously or consciously. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, um, we've talked about a little bit about visualization, and I think I mentioned a couple people who have visualized it, like Conor McGregor was one of them different you know he visualized success for himself like so many other people but he right. was he was open about his yeah there's, there's different uh, people are in different schools in terms of how what role that plays mm -hmm. in actual success i would say that it's probably like a it's a helpful maybe a prerequisite or definitely it lays the foundation but obviously mm -hmm. like just visualizing it it's not going to get you all the way there there needs to be some amount of work put in exactly but in the con back to the context of good and evil i think like there are certainly people who visualize doing things that are are 
might be considered by others to be evil or mm. bad or wrong. Maybe they're power hungry and they imagine being at the top of a criminal empire or something right. like that. But so that, that gets into our distinction though, is if it's just something, a thought in your head, does that make it merely bad or can it still be evil if it's never actually acted upon and doesn't cause some change in the world, some negative outcome? Hmm. Well, if I stumped you, that's fun. <laughs> You did stump me. You did stump me. And I, I, I do think there is such a thing as good thoughts and bad thoughts. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's bring it, I want to bring it back to the notion of like the individual and the self for a little bit. I want to mm -hmm. maybe steer it away from talking about like, you know, p people who have power over our lives that are, we can't even see in this room, but I'm thinking yeah. about thinking about it in terms of us or me rather, right. You know, it, uh, what's a good moral decision? What's a, what's an, the most evil decision I can make with regards to myself? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cultures that comment comment on this, but you know, self harm, for example, sure, so anything that limits self sabotage, anything that limits your own survival, right, it can be seen as evil, right. So in in many ways, in the context of just a purely individualistic sense, evil can be defined as anything that, in, in my hypothesis, evil is anything that limits your ability to to benefit yourself. Mm -hmm self-sabotaging behavior like an addiction or you know you know there's there's a whole list of things that you could be described as other amoral behavior like betrayal i think you had mentioned that before the podcast breaking yeah. of trust with right. other people in the social in your social network yeah and that that sort of ties in with the the whole notion of corruption that you had brought up in the the previous episode where we were, we were talking about uh, sort of the competence hierarchies and things like that yeah and i and i do think um corruption can happen on many levels and, and it can it, at a fundamental level, regardless of what, whether it's, it's a business or, you know, a, a political structure or anything like that, I think the most basic form of human social structure, I mean, it's just what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. just having a social interaction with each other. I mean, we're philosophizing, we're talking, but, but it's, it's, it's definitely, there's an exchange going on. There's, there's a, there's a sort of an, an economy almost between us in terms of ideas, at least in this case. Right. Right. And then, but we also have our own shared networks of people who are our friends and everything like that. So in many ways the, the that we kind of rely on that for a sense of survival. Mm -hmm. So any betrayal between individuals within that group will greatly diminish our chances of survival because if there's no trust, for example, between you or I or me or someone else in our group, then yeah, they'll be less likely to, you know, rely on you or ask you for help. And then you won't be able to ask them for help maybe when you need it because so that, yeah, that, and that, that, that's also what's led to humans sort of ruling the planet in a large part. It's not because any one, each individual human is necessarily the strongest. Like obviously there's apes that are stronger than us that could overpower us, but mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've built up these social structures that allow us to operate as like a larger unit, almost like a larger organism that is humanity in, mm -hmm. in, a, lar in a large sense. And that's given us extra power that we wouldn't individually have. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think the root of that is compromise or what we call compromise. Mm -hmm. I think the concept is different. From well, it, it's also, it also play, it also sort of relates to the notion of playing fair games with each other, right? Coming up with those rules that establish how mm -hmm. we can sort of live together as mm -hmm. a society. Right. And I would say that it's, better to have a, a some form of rule set than it is to have no rule set which is where nihilism comes into play right i'm if i hope you'll let me indulge a little bit but i was talking about descartes before the podcast a little bit how yeah. he said <laughs> the evil demons <laughs> the evil demon i think therefore i am like yeah. if, if you don't think then then how can you be and obviously it's being as the as is it is necessary for good to exist mm -hmm. all life to exist so if if you if you're not thinking you're not being, and if you're not being, then how can you be good? 
and you need a structure, I think, in order to be good. You, you need to have the chance of, you need to have some structure in order to have the chance of being good. Does, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, I, that definitely makes sense. So I, I think that's a good place for us to sort of wrap up our first part of the discussion we're having here on good and evil. Yeah, I really like it. I'm looking forward to continuing, it, continuing our discussion in the next chapter. Yes, for sure. Wolf, it's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. <laughs>